You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for the July 7th, 2023 Friday reading of the Art Valley Voice News Program. My name is Michelle Wexler. Today, we will be reading the following main articles. The debate over geothermal energy in Chafee County is just beginning, written by Jan Wundra. A jobs bonanza in this energy transition for Brighton, written by Alan Best. Chafee Land Use Code Module 2 Ready for Public Input, written by Arc Valley Voice staff, and Ready with Rants, Public Agrees with BOCC Recommendation to Add Diversity to Chafee Housing Authority, written by Jan Wundra, and following up with miscellaneous articles. We begin with the first article, The Debate Over Geothermal Energy in Chafee County is Just Beginning, this posted by Jan Wundra. While there remains no visible progress related to quantifying or qualifying the availability of superheated water thousands of feet below the surface of Chafee County, that does not mean that the conversation about geothermal energy isn't beginning to bubble up. It is. Not only was there a conference on the topic held at Mount Princeton by no less than former Governor Bill Ritter last winter, but former Sangre de Cristo Electric Association Board Chair Joe Radetzky raised it during the election debates and discussed it again with Arc Valley Voice in our candidate interviews. Discussions of the potential for geothermal energy underlying the Arkansas River Valley have gone on for the past several years. Those who have studied this report that the ideal temperature at which heated water could be used for generating energy is 300 degrees Fahrenheit. To even begin to consider the reservoir of water for potential energy generation would require a proof-of-concept drilling effort with a potential $5 million price tag, which isn't likely anytime soon. But pursuing potential energy alternatives to fossil fuels is on the agenda, not just of Colorado Governor Jared Polis in his The Heat Beneath Our Feet initiative, but it is on the minds of most Western governors. Just this past week, a float in the Buena Vista Fourth of July parade revealed a citizen petition pristineprinceton.blogspot.com, demanding the Chafee County Board of Commissioners reject the proposed location for a geothermal power plant on Rodeo Road near County Road 323. They go on to demand representation from our member-owned electric co-op, SDCEA, to ensure they fiduciarily represent their members' best interests regarding development of geothermal energy in the Valley. Given that the recent SDCEA elections revealed a significant solar energy protest effort, it is unknown what support there might be for the exploration of geothermal energy here. Public comment at the June 20th Chafee Board of County Commissioners meeting reveals residents' concerns that arise from the many unknowns, but they also reveal that the lack of facts is fueling misinformation. That said, most of those who commented were concerned about the impacts of deep drilling for superheated water possibly contaminating their own wells, 
Anything that might be considered industrial located anywhere along CR-323, and unforeseen impacts of geothermal drilling altering the behavior of nearby geothermal features. Of course, the most well-known geothermal features are Chafee County's two commercially known hot springs, Mount Princeton Hot Springs and Cottonwood Creek Hot Springs. In many places and locations, including California, Nevada, Chile, and Iceland, geothermal drilling has altered the behavior of nearby geothermal features, said one man during BOCC public comment. In other words, we don't know what is going to happen to things like the Mount Princeton fishery. My neighbors have 300-foot deep wells. We aren't against the geothermal, just not at the mile-deep drilling. Editor's note: With the growing interest in the subject of geothermal energy, Arc Valley Voice will continue to report on this developing topic. That story, the debate over geothermal energy in Chafee County, is just beginning. And next up in the news, a jobs bonanza in this energy transition for Brighton. This posted by Alan Best. Transportation matters greatly for solar and battery manufacturers, but what about Colorado's coal towns, Pueblo, Craig, and others? Every transition produces winners and losers. U.S. fiscal policy shifted in the 1880s, and the economy of Aspen cratered for decades. Some silver mining towns never recovered. In the 1980s, newspapers were plentiful. Ink now stains far fewer printers and editorial wretches. Amazon thrives, but Sears and Kmart, no more. How will Colorado's coal-based towns transition as we quell emissions from energy production? Legislation of recent years seeks to deliver what lawmakers call a just transition, meaning that Pueblo, Craig, and other coal-based communities will stay on their feet. The newest round of job-producing investments in emission-free technologies, though, call into question how difficult that will be. Two new factories are to be created in Brighton on Metropolitan Denver's northeastern fringe. The combined investment of $450 million will deliver more than 1,200 average to better-paying jobs. VSK Energy will manufacture solar photovoltaic panels and will employ more than 900 people. It is a direct result of incentives in the Federal Inflation Reduction Act of 2022, which seeks to restore U.S. manufacturing of renewable energy components. The second factory will produce a new generation of energy-rich lithium-ion batteries. The company Amprius Technology says that a new anode, which will use silicon mined in Montana, will double the range of a Tesla, allowing it more than enough capacity to roam Colorado from corner to corner, and the ability to juice up to 80 percent capacity in six minutes. The company also says the new batteries will deliver value to drones and aircraft. Sounds like a game changer. Both companies cited proximity to Interstate 76 as a significant consideration in citing their factories. They also have proximity to I-25, I-70, and I-80, plus Denver International Airport. 
If of not immediate importance, they also have access to transcontinental rail lines. The availability of a large, skilled workforce was also cited. The battery company also cited the proximity of the Colorado School of Mines and other universities. It will employ a half dozen PhDs in the research facility associated with the factory. Something more intangible was also in play. It was described as a strong cultural fit by Ashwini Agarwal, the leader of Vikram Solar, the parent company for the solar manufacturer. Supply chains matter, but Colorado's initiative in accelerating the energy transition also matters. Andrew Huey, the vice president of infrastructure for Amprius, said something similar. Colorado and Governor Polis are embracing clean energy, and batteries align with Colorado's clean energy goals, he told me. There may be synergies. Other companies are also carving out futures in this new energy economy along the front range. The Denver Business Journal recently cited three companies from Denver to Fort Collins that hope to stake a future with new batteries. And Lightning E-Motors manufactures electric vehicles in Loveland. Brighton already has Vestas, which arrived in 2010, to manufacture nacelles containing the gearboxes and drivetrains for wind turbines. Vestas also built a factory in Pueblo near the Comanche Generating Station. CS Wind, now the owner of the Pueblo factory, this year began an expansion that will add 850 jobs. It cited Inflation Reduction Act provisions that encourage wind production. Jeffrey Shaw, president of the Pueblo Economic Development Corporation, said he expects the announcement of other renewable sector projects in the Pueblo area and probably throughout the state during the next 12 to 18 months. A lot of it has to do with the Inflation Reduction Act, he said, and in particular, the law's Buy American provision. Already, Pueblo County has been rapidly adding both solar and storage, but so far the new tax base for Pueblo won't balance that from Comanche. Excel Energy, Comanche's primary owner, has agreed to pay taxes until 2040. Western slope towns dependent on coal extraction and combustion are a harder sell. At Craig, there was hope on becoming a hydrogen hub, but Colorado has pinned its highest hope for federal funding on a project involving rawhide, the coal but soon-to-become gas plant near Brush. Nuclear has its fans in Craig and beyond, and The Economist notes that the Biden administration is dangling billions in financial incentives nationally. That same magazine also concludes that unresolved problems cloud the future of this technology. As for new factories, Craig is 90 miles from the nearest interstate, at the end of a railroad, and five hours from DIA. It does have a workforce with skills, but so far no new applications for those skills. At Nucla and Naturita, which lost their small coal plant in 2019, the challenge is even greater. Maybe Craig, Hayden, and the other towns will figure out new careers by working with the state and the utilities, but maybe not. That by Alan Best, Big Pivots. 
You can find a deeper read on this at bigpivots.com, where Alan Best tracks Colorado's energy and water transitions as best he can with his set of skills. Every newspaper that employed him no longer exists. That story, a jobs bonanza in this energy transition for Brighton. And next up, Chafee Land Use Code Module 2, ready for public input. This posted by Arc Valley Voice staff. As announced during Wednesday's Chafee Board of County Commissioner BOCC meeting, the Chafee Land Use Code LUC Module 2 final drafts have been published and are ready for public comment. There has been extensive consultation with county staff, Board of County Commissioners, the Planning Commission, the LUC Community Advisory Committee, and many policy advisor stakeholder groups over the past many months. The proposed updates cover Application Submission and Review Procedures, Chapter 6, Subdivision Standards, Chapter 4, and Development Standards, Chapter 5. These draft versions of chapters 4, 5, and 6 will be open for public comment through July 30, 2023. They will be brought forward for public hearings on August 15th with the Chafee Planning Commission and will be on the September 5th BOCC meeting agenda. Drafts of the code update materials will be shared through those meeting packets as well. Chafee residents are invited to review and share thoughts and comments on the working final draft code sections where the proposed code change are up for review on the Convio platform at https colon slash slash plan dot k-o-n-v-e-i-o dot com slash chafee hyphen county hyphen module hyphen the number two hyphen review hyphen drafts. This platform will allow you to record your comments on the document, but comments will be visible only to the county and to the Logan Simpson LUC revision team. You won't be able to see others' comments and they won't be able to see yours. The Chafee County staff is grateful for the interest and involvement of the community in the LUC Update Initiative. To sign up for updates on this ongoing initiative and follow the progress, go to https colon slash slash www.togetherchafeecounty.org slash get hyphen involved. That story, Chafee Land Use Code Module 2, ready for public input. Continuing on, Ready with Rants, Public Agrees with BOCC Recommendation to Add Diversity to Chafee Housing Authority. This posted by Jan Wundra. On Wednesday morning, the Chafee Board of County Commissioners, BOCC, surprised several attendees of their regular meeting who had come prepared to continue their advocacy when the commissioners unanimously agreed that they want to see representatives of the housing-challenged workforce serving on the Chafee Housing Authority, CHA. How do we get someone directly affected by the housing crisis on the board? and get a member directly affected by the housing crisis, said Commissioner P.T. Wood, to have the board open up their bylaws, to get one of our passionate, thoughtful members of that community onto the CHA board quickly. He noted that the city of Salida opens up its new seat in January. I was thinking about this when we were creating this structure for the housing authority. 
At that time, we felt like people in that community did not have the time or space to be able to commit to something like this, said Commissioner Greg Felt. We were wrong, but it's great that this community does want to participate. I'm excited about this direction. It makes a lot of sense. As often the case, Salty Riggs and Betch are not wrong. They have shined a light on some of our guffaws, and we're working to repair the relationship said CHA Chair Craig Nielsen. Most of our board members are ready to move on and create a more useful partnership. Salty is the hardest working housing person in the county. We agree. We need more diversity on the housing board. I had something completely different I was going to say, and all I can say is, wow, this is amazing, said workforce housing advocate Salty Riggs. I had a whole rant, the same one I did six months ago about representation, and it looks like you're moving in the right direction, said Brandon Becker. While the BOCC chose to approve the CHA recommendations for the county's three open board seats, their motion, made by Commissioner P.T. Wood, included a direction to revise the Intergovernmental Agreement, IGA, and the CHA bylaws to include better representation of the audience its formation is intended to assist, with the goal of completing the revisions by January 2024. Wood will represent the BOCC. The Chafee Housing Authority, CHA, was established in 2020 through an IGA, in which it is specified that the CHA Board of Directors shall be constituted of nine members, including three members appointed by the Chafee BOCC. To add more diversity to that board requires revisions to the CHA bylaws for board requirements, as well as the initial IGA that created the funding partnership to focus on the county's housing crisis. The BOCC chose to reappoint Craig Nielsen, the current CHA board chair, to serve a new two-year term. It chose to uphold the CHA Board June 15th meeting's unanimous vote to appoint Jeff Eaton and Rob Gartsman to at-large jurisdictional board positions. The CHA Board has recommended the appointments to fill the seats vacated when Jamie Hayes completed her term and Ashley Capel was hired as CHA's executive director. Nielsen noted that we have a nine-person voting board and four alternates who don't vote, We might want to broaden this board. We are a working board, so we need folks who have time. We have two working documents, and we have the IGA in the bylaws. If we could make the two documents agree. The other reason for adding board members is to build affinity, an understanding of what board service is, added CHA board member Dominique Nacarato. The decision was not without critical comment. I wasn't going to speak at all, or if I did, I also had a rant, but feel compelled to speak to explain some things you might not be aware of, said resident Ricky Bauscher. I'm a part of the workforce and spent my academic career studying different power structures in the U.S. I have a master's degree in gender and cultural studies. You said we should speak to something we know to be true. Commissioner Felt said when this was formed, they didn't think that people like us would have time. But where you're wrong is we are very concerned about our positions. We will make time, she continued. It's difficult to take time out of work at 9 a.m. on a Wednesday morning to speak for ourselves. I'm not sure you are welcoming people from our community the same way. 
It is intimidating to talk with you, from the way the room is set up, the way you look, the way I look, to point out to you that you are coming from a place of privilege. I think you are making an effort to move in the right direction, but your efforts need to be checked. Yes, when we formed the Housing Authority, we did consider having representation on the board. It wasn't going to happen at that point, said BOCC Chair Keith Baker. The Chafee Housing Trust does have people on their board representing diversity. Some of the ideas you have shared are commendable. We will use them as we update the IGA and the bylaws, and I commend Commissioner Wood and Staffer Beth Helmke and all who participated in the call a few days ago. It's starting to be said that if you're making a decision for a group and there is nobody in the room from that group, you're not going to be making a good decision. We're on a good track here. That story, Ready with Rants, public agrees with BOCC recommendation to add diversity to Chafee Housing Authority. Next in the news, plea bargain agreement reached with H.L. Scott, sentencing August 31st, this posted by Merrill Bergen. In a hearing lasting just under 15 minutes today, defendant Herbert Lucas H.L. Scott formally accepted a plea bargain agreement regarding sexual assault and related charges. A possible plea bargain between public defender Julia Stancil and Deputy District Attorney Joanne Mirando had been hinted at during a hearing on June 16th concerning a second series of upcoming trials. With today's plea bargain, sentencing for Scott is now set for 1.30 p.m. on August 31st. Miranda reported that all the detailed conditions for probation were still being worked out and advised Judge Patrick Murphy that sentencing guidelines had changed around the time of at least one of the alleged incidents. It was noted that Scott was a juvenile during some of the alleged incidents. Murphy outlines elements of the plea agreement. Case D8-2020-CR 158 with some amendments still pending. Count 1, Class 6, Felony, Obscenity. A stipulation of five years of non-sex offender intensive supervised probation, but no jail time on this count. Scott must register as a sex offender and comply with all treatment requirements and have no contact with anyone under the age of 18 unless granted permission by the treatment team. Certain other conditions are not yet settled and remain open to the decision of the court. Count 15, Class 1, Misdemeanor, 3rd Degree Assault. Jail time remains to be determined, but appears to be a minimum of 60 days. Case D8-2021, JD4, Count 1, Class 4, Felony, Sexual Assault Committed by an Adult. Jail time of 60 days with a maximum of 2 years. Murphy stated that protection orders are still in effect and restitution is open for 60 days. He then asked Scott to confirm verbally that he has, one, read, understood, and signed the agreement, two, was satisfied with Ms. Stansel's work and advice, and three, he was not under the influence of any substance that might cloud his thinking. Further, when asked, Scott affirmed he knew that a jury trial was available to him. However, he waived all rights associated with that option. If you were to violate your probation, it could be revoked and you could be resentenced, Murphy said, indicating significant time in prison. Scott pleads guilty on three counts. 
When asked how would he plead, Scott replied, Case D-8-2020, CR-158, Count 1, Guilty. Case D-8-2020, CR-158, Count 15, Guilty. Case D-8-2021, JD-4, Count 1, Guilty. The next steps outlined by Murphy were to order a pre-sentencing report, a psychosexual evaluation, and setting a sentencing date. With Scott now living in Jefferson County, all parties agreed to have an evaluation conducted in the Denver, in the Metro Denver area. After consulting the availability of the attorneys, a sentencing date of August 31st was agreed upon. Mirando felt that multiple hours would be needed based on the number of those wanting to make comments. A full afternoon was set aside starting at 1.30 p.m. in the District 11 courtroom of Judge Murphy at 142 Crestone Avenue in Salida. Trial dates will be vacated and motions to dismiss made at the sentencing time. Editor note, Arc Valley Voice has covered these proceedings dating back to at least August 2022. That story, plea bargain agreement reached with H.L. Scott, sentencing August 31st. And that's all we have time for. Thank you for joining us. For the Arc Valley Voice News Program, my name is Michelle Wexler. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.